I mean, if you got a Bible, would you open up to Philippians 1 tonight? Now, what we're going to do, um, we're going to talk a little bit up front um, about why we're talking about this, and then we'll read some from Philippians in a little bit. Um, I'll have some scripture on the screen for you up front, but uh, we're not doing a normal Jeremiah study tonight, as we've already, um, as you already know. Um, I, I think the subject um, of the text in Jeremiah would have been appropriate um, but it might would have been a little bit tone deaf. Um, Jeremiah is complaining and he's kind of whining and, and God says you shouldn't, God kind of reproves him for that. Um, but you know what? We all have something to complain about after elections. Um, and especially when you don't know what's going on, um, you know, it's, it's human to, to complain or to, you know, ask why. So I thought, you know what, that might just be a little bit too on the nose. Next Wednesday, don't worry, we'll get into that Jeremiah study. So I do encourage you to read Jeremiah 15. Uh, Jeremiah just flat out asked God, hey, why? Why am I going through this? Why did you, he thinks God lied to him. Um, he, he feels like God deceived him. Um, so read that text. We'll get into that next, next week. And, and I really feel like as, as much as we kind of don't like being a, approached in those situations, God gives him some help, and God gives him some clarity, um, and God ultimately shows him that, hey, you know, I, I haven't deceived you at all, um, that everything's going to work out the way I told you it would, but that's next week, but I felt like tonight, um, the pastoral thing to do, we kind of read the room and bring something to encourage us and give us some guidance. Now, you all, most likely being here on a Wednesday night, you all already know all this, Nobody here tonight is going to be, uh, uh, nothing I, th I say tonight is going to be, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, maybe so. Uh, you know, God works and, and, and gives us what we need. But I think there's going to be plenty of people in your path over the next day, next week, next so-and-so amount of time that need to be reminded of the things we're going to talk about tonight. I need to be reminded of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. I think probably it will do us all good to hear some of these things. Um, but more importantly, that we might be a conduit to tell somebody um, that, uh, that, that, that God's Word has something to give, um, give us in this time. So, you know, I had a hunch that we might be in here tonight kind of either in between the election uh, speculation and results. Uh, for the past week, there's been one passage of Scripture on my mind and one verse I've been quoting over and over again in my own heart uh, that I thought, hey, it would be really good to bring to the church tonight. Um, so I've thought about a lot of Scripture over the last week. Honestly, I, I feel like as a pastor, it's my responsibility to, you know, bring God's Word to us uh, that's relevant for whatever we're going through. Um, and there's a lot in the Bible about kingdoms and, and, and empires and kings coming and kings going. Um, and, and even though we have a democracy and they didn't, and even though things are different, God's Word's still His Word, and it's still true, and it's still appropriate for what we face. Um, so I've thought about a lot of Scripture. Uh, there's a lot of awesome, incredible verses that remind us that God's in control and that we don't need to worry or fear. But come on, that doesn't mean that we're not going to worry, right? We're going to worry. We're going to be, we're going to wonder. We're going to, you know, we're going to be either excited about who gets in or worried about who gets in, and we're going to be either in agreement or disagreement. So even if we shouldn't worry, we still do. Um, and I think there's some, some good scriptures that we, can, we should read, we should hear, we should say them out loud. Uh, a scripture that I, I shared with y'all last week um, uh, in, in an email uh, from Daniel. Um, I, I want to show you some verses from Daniel up front because Daniel 2, we looked at Sunday, Daniel 4 is a really important passage when it comes to um, kind of dealing with transitions of power and dealing with government and, and where God is and all that. Um, y'all know the story, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the world. Uh, uh, Daniel comes to him. He has some bad dreams. Daniel says, I can tell you about those dreams. Um, and Dan Nebuchadnezzar, we talked about one of his dreams Sunday, but he had another dream where he saw this giant tree and it was chopped down and his angel showed up 
um, and these angels um, kept repeating a very specific line to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream about why he was going to go through some of the hardships he was going to go through. And here's a, a clip from Daniel 4 where the, the uh, watchers, the angels, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know. So this isn't just for Nebuchadnezzar. This is, God is trying to say, I am giving you this vision, Nebuchadnezzar, and you're going to go out, remember he gets, you know, he goes out into the pasture for seven years, he's like an animal, and they have to hide him from the rest of the empire because they're trying to keep his image, you know, from being tarnished, he grows, his you know, he gets talons and he has hair, you know, looks like an animal. Um, and the story goes that Nebuchadnezzar was out, you know, really indisposed in, in for, for seven years. Um, but this scripture says, this is why this is going to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar. So that the living may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men and gives it or gives them to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Now that verse is repeated not once, not twice, but three times in that chapter. We get it again later on in verse 25. Till you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then again in verse 32. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Now, that part of the first time we read it gives it to even the lowliest. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most powerful and able men to ever have lived. Yet, compared to God, he was one of the lowest of men. At the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he would lift up his voice and say this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, because he thought he was the Most High. He thought he was the greatest, but he realized somebody else was. He praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation, even ours. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. Now, this isn't to say that anyone who has ruled, is ruling, or might rule is nothing or little or low. I mean, this isn't to insult them. This is just God comparing His greatness to our not-so-greatness in comparison. He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can say None can stay as in, try to push his hand back and say, what are you doing? None can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? There's something in all of us that might not turn to God and ask that question, but we might turn to somebody and ask that question. See, in our country, it's messy because we're, we get to vote, right? In our country, it's messy. We don't look at God and say, what have you done? We look at our neighbor and say, what have you done? We look at our coworker and say, what have you done? We look at our family member who's different than us and votes different than us, and we say, what have you done? But if we believe what we just read, and it, you know, we can talk all night about, well, how can we reconcile God and democracy and God's rule and, and people's choice? 
that's for another day and time. But ultimately, we know there's some kind of through line through all that, isn't there? There's some kind of connection between our ability to choose and God's ultimate choice. And when I look at my neighbor who did not agree with or does not agree with me, when I look at my neighbor or when I look at my enemy and I say, what have you done? I'm really looking at God. That might be something we need to let uh, press on our mind for a little bit. Now, it's okay, I think, it's okay for us to be transparent here and honest with each other. Most evangelical Christians, most Baptist, uh, other, um, other non-liturgical Christians um, are conservatives. Most of us, we are right-leaning. Uh, you might not be, but most are. Um, you know, it's not always been that way. It's been that way in broad strokes since the late 70s, early 80s, even when the parties were not so divided about social issues. Um, but in the 70s and 80s, it really became a big, uh, a big issue. Abortion became a big issue. Um, Jimmy Carter was the last Democrat that uh, statistically garnered a large portion of evangelical votes. Um, but he failed to combat the abortion laws that had kind of came up in the 70s. And the predominant evangelical leaders that had once supported him turned on him and formed a coalition called the Moral Majority. Many of you maybe lived through that. Um, they formed a coalition around Republican newcomer Ronald Reagan. Now, here's the thing about Ronald Reagan that's really unique and really kind of, I think, tells the story of God's redemption. Reagan was a former Democrat when he was the governor of California he oversaw and passed one of the largest liberal pro-abortion bills to the date, to that, to, in, in, to, in, of its kind, to, to date, when he was governor. But when he you know, changed and, and ran for uh, office as a Republican, he vowed to recant those policies uh, the best he could as the president of our country. Um, now, of course, that was years before when he was the governor of California and, and things were different, but he, as a president, ran as a pro-life president and always championed the, the sanctity of life um, and championed more than that, the biblical values that we uphold and we continue to really help, really, that steers our politics. I don't know about y'all, but, you know, my politics growing up really were, were predetermined um, because of our convictions about being pro-life. And kind of that made me go to a certain party and be a certain, be of a certain party. Um, and, you know, that's from that point, evangelicals have swayed right. Now, there are plenty of believers who are members of the Democratic Party, and that's great. Um, but as we've talked in our Jeremiah study, there are social issues that God is passionate about that both parties ignore. Um, and one might address more than the other. And, and we've talked about the sin of pride. There's pride in every corner of politics. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard for us to really un- unapologetically uh, attach to any party uh, as Christians because any party of man is going to fail, you know, uh, in comparison to God. But again, most of us, most of us, most Christians lean right for good reasons. And for that matter, we are usually more at ease we're usually more at ease when the government is ran by a party that's pro-life, pro-Israel, pro-religious liberty, pro-biblical values. That's just the way it is, and most Christians would say that. And, and again, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, any reason to shy away or pretend that that isn't true. Um, you know, I'm not up here telling you how you should vote. I'm just saying, hey, that's just the reality of 99.9% of most, most evangelical Christians, most Baptist Christians, most Baptist churches. We lean that way. And again, you may disagree with me, and that's fine. I love you. Um, but uh, if y'all have listened to me preach the last month, you probably know in the grand scheme of things, 
I'm pretty apolitical, as in I'm pretty kind of detached. You know, I used to be very passionate about politics and politicians, but, you know, as a pastor, as I've got deeper in God's word, you know, I've kind of had to take my hands off of that stuff because sometimes when you're so passionate about politics, you find yourself denying or affirming things you otherwise wouldn't deny or affirm. Um, You know, things that aren't necessarily reflective of our greater affiliation, you know, because ultimately, regardless of what way we vote, we have a greater affiliation. Our Christian faith, our citizenship in God's kingdom, which that's good news in and of itself, isn't it? Um, And again, now that may reflect you, may not. You may uh, be able to fly the right or the left flag boldly and proudly, and and you're not convicted, you know, about some of the the failures that exist in in the parties. But hey, if if your conscience is fine, that's great. But here's why we're talking about this tonight. Not because I want to beat up on a party or, you know, wave the flag of another party. Because as of now, it's looking like we're going to have a, a new president in a few months. Or we might just descend into chaos and not know who's going to be president. I hope not. Um, you know, lawsuits and recounts. Who knows? Who knows? But my point is this. We may not get the answer we wanted. We may not have an answer at all for a while. And there may be, and there will be, plenty of opinions and articles and you know, uh, shows saying that one side did something wrong or their conspiracy. There will be all sorts of commentary on what has taken place in our country for the last 24 hours. My job as a pastor is to bring God's word and his spirit to our hearts and into these conversations we're having with ourselves, with each other, as we watch and take in the news. We may not get the answer we want, we might not get an answer at all for a while. So, where does this leave our faith? Now, there are a lot of different responses to this question right now. I don't have to go into politics, but after the election in 2016, our country spent four years, um, a a certain side of our country spent four years kind of having a fit because they didn't get their way. Um, And, you know, things went like they did. Now, we, in our current, on our current day, as we face a possible new administration, are we going to let the results of an election impact our faith? Now, you may say that would never happen to me, but it happens to many people. We put our faith in people. We lose faith because of people. Now, there's a lot of different responses, and will be a lot of different responses over the next few weeks, over the next few years, as things change, or maybe things don't change. But my goal tonight... My goal tonight is, with the time you've given me, is very one-sided, and I hope this can be your goal as we leave. The goal for tonight's message is one-sided, and I want to make it very clear. It's not to cause us to be in despair because President Trump might not be reelected, and Vice President uh, Biden will replace him. It's not to somehow rally us together to pray that somehow things change and Trump stay in office. My goal tonight is not to make us lose our hearts because one man might win or even cause us to be so committed to prayer that the other man might win. That's not my goal tonight. Now, you can choose to panic if you want to. You can choose to, and I encourage you to pray regardless for something to happen, but I can't biblically lead you in doing either of those. And even though you are spiritually mature, and I think most of you already know this, 
I think this will sharpen our convictions that we already have so that we might be able to go and give a word to somebody that might not be in the right place right now. Um, and, and nonetheless, I think this can benefit all of us. But here's why, um, here's why that, that, that I'm going to take us in a different direction. Uh, whether this cycle goes our way politically or not, eventually there will come another political cycle that doesn't go our way. Isn't it true that y'all have lived long enough, not saying anything about anybody's age, I've lived long enough that you win some and you lose some. And as I've said in another place, if we live by the political wins, we will die by the political losses. You hear me? If we live by the political wins, if we find our strength and our passion and our identity by the wins we get in Washington, we will die by the losses we get. Isn't it true? For the church in America, we often ride the wave of politics, don't we? Isn't our faith deeper and stronger so as long as we can rely on the right person being in office? I think that's just our nature. We look for people. We look for leaders. That's okay. But we often ride the waves of politics. But isn't our faith deeper and stronger so as to we don't have to rely or be at the mercy of politics? Don't you think our faith is stronger than that? But isn't it true the confidence of the church in America often hinges on if the right party is in power, if the right party is in power. But brothers and sisters, this ought not to be the case. Our faith is stronger and better than this. <clears throat> Our faith is stronger and better than this. Now, allow me to speak from my own perspective as my faith was formed really during years when the church's back was against the wall. Y'all know I'm 30 years old, so for over half of my life, the country has been ruled by one less than moral administration and one not so Christian administration. Not to mention there's been threats of terrorism in other administrations. There's been economic crises in other administrations. Yet in those 30 years that I've been alive, despite the politics being there uh, or not being there to aid and embolden the church, my faith was born in an America where on paper many would say it should not have been born. My faith was born and my calling to ministry really bloomed out of an America that wasn't really pushing and, 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 and encouraging the church alone. And specifically, I learned that even when the country didn't have it right, the church was my hope and my refuge and the place where I could find what I could not find in the world. And perhaps it was because I was told, my, told by so many and reminded so often, maybe it was because the government wasn't where it needed to be that I was so directly steered in a certain other direction. That I knew that I needed to find my influence in my culture and my direction from the church, not from the government, not from the ruling class. And regardless if that was necessary or not, I'm thankful for the world I've grown up in because it made me cling to nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I didn't have the America many of y'all had to grow up in. And maybe I'm worse for it. 
My nieces and nephews and my future children, they don't have the America to grow up in that I grew up in. But does that mean that the church still can't raise its light and be a beacon like it was for me, like it was for you? See, the America I grew up in calls me to dig my heels into and onto the solid rock because all other ground was sinking sand. So if you ever wonder why I sometimes am a little harsh on our affinity and drift toward politicians and our want for political power, I will confess I'm a bit biased because I come from an upbringing. I come from a generation. I come from an experience where I found that nothing, let's go next slide. I found that nothing compares to putting 100% of my weight on Jesus and his government. Now it's not Christmas yet, but it's close enough. How about this scripture? Isaiah 9. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And from that day when Jesus was born, a government was established. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, what this is so, you know why this is so good? Because sometimes we get politicians that they're good at this, but they're not good at that. They're good economic leaders, but they're not good, you know, moral leaders. They're good political orators, but they're not good people, one-on-one -on -one persons, right? We get different politicians that have this strength and that strength. They're big on the military, but they're not so big on the economy. They're big on, you know, protecting our troops or protecting our, our, our men and women in uniform, but they're not so big on this. We have politicians who often fill different roles and do different things well, but listen to this truth about Jesus. He does everything. Everything, not just well, but perfect. He is the Prince of Peace. He is, we know more than that, the King of Kings. This next verse says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So from the day he came as a baby, his government has been getting stronger and growing, and his kingdom has been getting more and more powerful and more and more certain. There is a peace we can find as Christians that only we can find as Christians because of the government that we can depend on and rely on. So, if we're going to live by any political winds, let it be only by the victories of King Jesus. That doesn't mean that we can't be happy or sad when someone wins or loses. That's okay. But if we're going to find our energy and our boldness and the drive to take a bigger and higher and greater step by any political win, let it be by the victory of Jesus Christ. Because if we live by the political winds of this world, we will die by the losses of this world. Because whether it's the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, they will lose today, tomorrow, someday down the road. But isn't it true? We often find too much life in the winds of this world in general. 
We find too much of our life fulfillment in economic wins, social wins, family wins. And not that those things are bad or that they're not from God. But if they are of flesh and blood, they're temporary, they're fleeting, that means they won't last forever. And by that logic, if we, li- if we live by any win of this world, we risk dying by the many losses we'll face in this world. And by win, I mean, if it, by live, I mean, if we find our life in our purpose, in our energy, by any check mark in this world, when the X crosses over it, we risk dying. We risk being defeated. We risk giving up. So I've already preached as much, but I want to leave you with one verse, one verse to learn and quote and repeat over the next few days. As you've as you're tempted to feel victory or despair based on what the news reports, as you hear rumors and conspiracies, as you try to find something to cling to as you face the many ups and downs in this life, there's a verse in Philippians 1 where Paul is responding to some concern expressed over his recent imprisonment. He was arrested unjustly for preaching the gospel. He was shipped off to Rome on a boat full of thieves and felons and murderers. He went along with them. He didn't resist. He was thrown in a Roman prison. He was chained to a Roman guard. He had a little window he could see through and get, got food passed to him through. He was facing the death penalty. He watched his friends, one after the other, be killed, burnt alive in the city of Rome. When written to and worried over the future of the church's expansion, The church at Philippi was wondering if all of a sudden Paul's evangelical movement was going to end. They wondered if they had it in them to continue without the leader that Paul was. Paul assured the Philippian church that the work that God had started, God would finish. He also said that what was happening to him was really happening to advance and further the gospel. That's found in Philippians 1.6 and 1.12. But there's a verse even greater than those two, even though they're pretty good. Paul writes that some other preachers are actually happy that he's in jail because they didn't like him and they thought he was preaching the wrong stuff and they thought he didn't have this or that right. But he says, you know what, as long as they preach Jesus, you know what, I'm okay that they're happy. I'm fine that they're happy I'm in jail because all I care about is the gospel getting preached. I don't care if I actually make it or am am a famous person. If somebody's happy that I'm in jail but they go and preach Jesus, then God bless them. At the end of the chapter, though, he addresses some of the concerns over him because people are worried about his own mental health, his own well-being, his own faith. And this is where we find the secret to facing any and every season of life. The wins, the losses, how we can maintain what matters most. We'll begin in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul says, what matters most to me is that the kingdom of God is going to grow. Yes, my circumstances are not ideal. Do I want to be in prison? Did I sign up to be in prison? Did I willfully lock myself up with a Roman soldier and say, hey, I don't want to be free? Of course not. If someone said, hey, Paul, you can get out of jail, would I walk out that door? Of course I would. Philippian church, you, you remember the reason why you guys got founded was because I was in prison singing Amazing Grace and the walls started shaking and I walked out. But I witnessed to the guard and he got saved. So of course, I don't want to be in prison. But since I am, 
and because I am, I haven't given up. Because I believe that God is still working even in this situation I'm in. See, Paul tells us that his faith grounds him. His faith grounds him even when life has made him go face down on the ground. This is a, this is a sentiment we see over again in chapter 3 and 4 where Paul asserts that he will rejoice always, no matter what, especially when he doesn't feel like it. Think about that. Think about that. When we don't feel like it. We listen to our feelings so quickly, don't we? We listen to our feelings, even though our feelings most of the time betray us, don't they? And don't we? Listen to how David commanded his soul in Psalms 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. So God's Word can change our moods. If we'll submit to God's Word, if we listen to God's Word, we'll allow it. You know how, you know, you ever get sad and want to listen to something that makes you sad? You ever get sad and you want to watch a movie or something that's sad? We kind of feed ourselves, don't we? That's our nature. We get sad and we don't want to talk about good things because we don't want to get out of that sad mood. Our nature is to kind of cave in. That's just how we are. I'm that way, we're all that way. Someone tries to cheer us up, we kind of shut them out. But the secret, Paul says, and David teaches us here, that our faith can ground us and we all know that what God puts in the ground, he raises up. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I know, I know. Now listen, he's in jail. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's been sentenced to death. But I know this will turn out for my deliverance. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed... And with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now we get to Paul's, we get to a bigger picture. In verse 19, he says, hey, I know I'm getting out of this place. But then in verse 20, he says, well, I might not get out of this place the way y'all want me to get out of this place. I might, but I might not. But I am going to be okay either way. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to uh, uh, underestimate this. Do you know how big of a deal for somebody in the first century to be saying that? You know how big of a deal that was? Nobody in the first century believed there was anything good after death. Even the Jews weren't sure what happened when you die. You read the Old Testament, there's no mention, of, there's barely any mention of the afterlife. Job mentions it, but all the Jews talked about was living long in the land. If you obey the commandments, you'll live long. You know why they wanted to live long? Because they didn't know what happened when you died. David had an idea that there was an afterlife, but every single Jewish believer, they were worried about what happened when you die. The Pharisees came along and they believed in a resurrection, but the Sadducees said, no, 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 no. The Old Testament doesn't preach that. We don't believe in that. But the Pharisees, they were a little bit, you know, uh, uh, kind of a, a strange group for their time. They believed in a resurrection, but they had no, you know, really concrete proof over it. And then Jesus showed up and said, y'all want to know about a resurrection? I'll tell you about a resurrection. I am the resurrection. So for Paul to be in a prison, confident that even if he dies, he was going to be delivered. That's a radical thing. And here's, the, here's how Christianity has changed the world, and we underestimate it. 
We don't blink an eye when somebody asks us, do you believe in heaven? Where are you going to go when you die? Because we have become so confident in this promise. But we kind of get numb to it, don't we? It's a big deal for what Paul, for Paul to be saying that. Paul's desire is that Christ be honored in his life, whether he suffers or prospers. You, in, maybe you want to stop and say, how can Christ be honored if I suffer? If I lose, if I lose something, if I take a, back, take a step back, how can God be honored in that? Paul didn't have the explanation. He just had this c- conclusion. He wasn't going to rely on his conditions. He was going to rely on Christ. He wasn't going to rely on his conditions or anything else that you can put in there. He was going to rely on Christ. And this leads us to this big, super important, life-changing verse, verse 21. Y'all know it. You quote it. You probably quote it often. Hopefully you do. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Would you read that with me? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is gain. So where does Paul find life? In Christ's promises, in Christ's presence, in Christ's power, in Christ's peace, in Christ's purpose. So whether gains or losses, Paul sets his meter on what God's will, where Christ is leading him. Paul refused to find Life in any victory other than that of Christ's victory over sin and death. And guess what? That victory never ceases to supply life and eternal life at that. You know what this made him? It made him bulletproof. It made him fail-proof. It made him defeat-proof. It made him so that even death could not defeat him. So he had this attitude, even in defeat, even in suffering, even in setbacks, even in persecution, even in when the world passes us by, there's something to gain. God can still be glorified. There's a group of people. There are people in this country that if their guy doesn't win, they say, I guess we've got to wait for four years for something to change people that are atheists, people that are of religions, other religions. There are Christians that wonder if God can be glorified if the wrong person wins. Take it from the Apostle Paul. Even in defeat, even in suffering, even in setbacks, do we wish these things? No, but if they come, and of course they do, there's something to gain. There's glory to make. See, contrary to to living by the world's wins and dying by the world's losses, if we live by Christ, whether win or loss in this world, our life can't be taken away. In every situation, faith grows and hope endures. Faith grows and hope endures. It's all about our center, our foundation. It's all about our anchor. So let me ask you tonight, and maybe I want you to go up to somebody, and you know, as long as you know them, If you see somebody pulling their hair out, ask them, where's your center, Christian? 
Where's your foundation, Christian? Where's your anchor? Who is your anchor, Christian? If it's Jesus, it doesn't matter who rules our country, what the economy is like, where the culture is taking us. Of course, we have our ideal and our opinions, and that's fine. But we can't control everything, can we? But because God controls everything, we can't lose if we live by Christ. Listen to how Paul sums this up. If I live on the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again, getting out of prison and visiting them. Here's the thing. Paul is literally writing about how dying, literally dying, would be eternal gain and freedom from him for him. But he said, I'm not looking for an exit strategy. Now, I don't know if Paul could have asked the Lord, hey, can you go ahead and take me out of here? Because I'd love to get out. Because I, I, Paul, remember, he died and went to heaven once. When they stoned him at Derby, he, had a, he died. And then, Paul, and then 2 Corinthians 12 says he went to heaven and he had an out-of-body experience. He was there in the, in, in, and God told him, hey, you got a thorn in your flesh that you're going to bear from me. You're going back. Even though dying would have taken him out of Rome, would have removed him from Roman persecution, would have saved him from Nero's Caesar, who ultimately took his head, literally took his head, Even though it would have taken him from the fallen and sinful world, Paul wanted to stay, even if it meant suffering. Verse 27 says why. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith. Paul says our goal is that our conduct be worthy of the gospel, standing fast in unity striving forward for the faith and for the Lord. You think he was just gesturing? You think he was just saying that just because he wanted to sound spiritual? Or do you really think he meant, you know what? I want to stay here as long as I need to. Chained to this Roman soldier, a slave in Caesar's household. I want to stay here as long as I can. Do you think he was just saying that? Turn over to the last page of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 21. Listen to how Paul signs off this book. They were worried about Paul, wondering, you know, hey, how's life in prison? He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you. Who's with you, Paul? You're in prison by yourself, strapped to a Roman soldier. Who's with you, Paul? Who's in jail with you? You're by yourself. All the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. While Paul was in prison, strapped to one of Caesar's soldiers around Caesar's men, he led them to Jesus. So now Paul would say, if you think your losses are bad, my losses put me in prison. I wouldn't make it out. My head was chopped off when this was over. But I didn't lose. I wasn't defeated. I got to lead some of Caesar's 
all men to Jesus. So the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you as it has been with me. So if the grace of God used Paul to witness in those days, he can use us in our days. So let's not give up or lose heart because our life is in Christ and nothing can take that away. So no matter what, don't stop believing. More importantly, don't stop living. As many might be tempted to. I know many will say it could be worse and all this stuff and politics and politics some more. But may the church resolve and determine to live for Jesus, whether it's easy or not. Hey, I'd love for it to be easy. But my main and bigger goal is to make much of the opportunity to live in Christ. I would love for y'all to join me at the altar, if you would, as we pray for the church to maximize this opportunity that is in front of us in this ensuing administration, whether it be one that we like or not like, regardless of what the future holds for the church. We know that our country is not what it used to be. That's normal for countries to seemingly go away from the Lord. But we aren't giving up. We are going to be determined to maximize this season for the glory of God.